You can imagine that someone who describes themselves as endlessly curious would have a lot of stories to tell. And when you're talking about today's guest, you'd be absolutely right. After living on both sides of the world and assimilating himself into Eastern cultures and having what we could call misadventures, he's found himself exploring a unique talent that his parents say he's had his entire life, and that is storytelling. But they're not just any stories. They're the kind that hook you immediately and reel you in right away the kind of stories that touch on all of the senses and transport you back in time and into his mind. He uses his gift of presence and feeling to help others become confident and empowered to share their own stories. And given the work he'd fallen into as a health and fitness coach over the last decade, he is uniquely positioned to affect lives through his mastery program that teaches men to get healthy while they work so they can live fully expressed and have more time with their family. Our guest currently resides in Richmond, Virginia with his wife and community of friends who are all chopping it up day after day to live an adventure-filled and purposeful life. Please welcome to the show my good friend, Brooks Meadows. Brooks, can you, uh, you got any good stories to tell? Well, <laughs> uh, there is one in particular that I do tell in our community yeah. often and as often as I can. Um, and we, I would love to talk about that as well, but <laughs> Yeah, there's lots of stories to tell. Um, I love that, uh, I loved that experience, by the way, when um, when you told that story and you can share with that what that was at some point in this conversation. But I just want to say when um, when you walked out onto the floor that that night and I had I had no idea what to expect. And I've experienced similar things to that, um, like storytelling um, circles um, not to that extent. That was really, really fun. You know, you, it, I really felt like I was there when you started talking and, and the, the, I was talking to a client yesterday, um, because he is, uh, he's about to make a presentation and we were going over like the, the hot open, how he's going to open this presentation. And I was like, well, when you're, when you, when you open up, you want to, create this like environment for people where they feel connected to how you felt in that moment, the setting, like describe everything and make, do it in such a way where, um, where people are like, yeah, I get it. I feel Man. it. <laughs> Matt, that is such yeah. a beautiful testimony. Thank you so You're much welcome. for sharing that. This is recorded. So I'll share it. with you. <laughs> Excellent. And I, I will humbly, and uh, happily receive it. Um, <laughs> How'd you get into storytelling in that, you know, how did that become part of your life? So to tell that, I would love to tell <laughs> you a story. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. Uh, I would love to tell you a story. And that is uh, that growing up as a child, 
I expressed a desire to connect with people in the form of conversation. My parents split up when I was 10 years old. I didn't have a working model for a marriage in my home, but my parents also loved, both parents loved me very, very much. I had the full support of both parents. I had a really wonderful childhood. Okay. So, but, but on the, on the whole, my parents, they were like, did they just stop They just started disagreeing about a lot, right? Let's just, let's just say that. Okay. But there's one thing that they really agreed on. And the way that I found out was by asking a question and deciding to play the curiosity game with both of my parents when I happened to be in town after the experience of the king says yes. They don't really know that I tell story stories. Okay. They don't really get the king says yes as a thing yet because I'm their son and you know, all these things, and they're going to see me through their own lens, totally fine. But I just made the intention to ask both of my parents when I was going through Memphis after this experience, which was, hey, knowing me my whole life and loving me and observing me as closely as you have as a parent, what's one thing that I've been doing well my whole life? And they, it took both of them less than a second, They're like, oh, telling stories. <laughs> and I was so, it just like affirmed me in the biggest, most unexpected way, because I didn't expect them to both say the same thing, agree that quickly on a dime. They both said telling stories and that it hit and resonated in a different way. Mm, I imagine they spoke about that at some point in their life. Like, man, we raised a good storyteller. <laughs> well, some of their favorite stories were talking about me being so verbal as a child. Hmm. So you were, um, you, you were always like outspoken and you like to, um, you like to talk. So I don't have real distinct memories of being three years old. I have intermittent small little memories, right? Mm -hmm. And I certainly didn't have enough awareness at three years old to imagine how other people saw me. I was just expressing innocently as a child and as a child, according to my parents, I would have like hot, like conversations with people when I was three years old, you know, I would want to talk to them about the baseball game. I love, we were obsessed with the Cubs in my family. So allegedly my first big words were Harry Carey and Cubbies. And if you're a baseball fan, you'll know the legendary Harry Carey, his famous euphemisms and all these crazy things. He'd never be able to be a broadcaster now, but we love the Cubs growing up. And I love to talk about baseball with adults. And I would ask questions as a three-year-old. I was, I was already curious. And so to have that reflected back after a storytelling experience was really magical. And it's given me a lot of pers perspective to carry forward um, as I pursue this art of storytelling. Now... <laughs> I like how you use the word art of storytelling or use that term. Well, art is expression. And uh, there is art is, is simply expression. There's so many different ways to express yourself. If you're doing it from a place of like, you know, freedom or uh, if you're if you're trying to, you know, find uh, whatever art is for you, it simply it just is expression. Movement can be an art. Uh, CrossFit can be an art, you know, it just depends on your perspective. It depends on how you're expressing. Um, I can express for performance and I can express for art. And sometimes I do both, but most of the time I'm, I'm doing one or the other. 
Mm -hmm. So when I'm doing art and storytelling, okay, great. It started with me just telling stories in bars, you know, just being trying to be funny, you know? Uh, so you start finding things as you get experience in life and you start telling stories to other people. And depending on which ones land, you start to craft them and cultivate them over time. And they become part of your identity and part of your story. You get used to telling them, you know, different chapters of your life you've told over and over and over again. You do it casually, uh, socially, right? You, you may not know that you're doing it, but often you're mm -hmm. telling stories to give people the gist of who you are and the more compelling the story maybe the more people will accept you more you know all of those things mm -hmm. uh, but okay so I like to tell stories but it wasn't until I got into this community that we're in the larger strong coach community and lifted community and I met a man named Kyle Gray Kyle is a wonderful storytelling marketing uh, genius and we were hanging out on a men's retreat and I wanted to get to the bottom of Kyle's craft and skill, his art. And so I got curious and asked him a question. Mm. Hey, Kyle, what's the one thing you tell all of your clients? Because I knew if I could get him to name the most important thing, it was going to give me 80% of the information that I needed to get started. Mm. And he said, if you're going to go through the trouble of telling a good story, make sure you're delivering a good lesson. Mm. And then this story that I've been telling my adult life about a backpacking trip that I took to Jamaica with my friend Sam, that story, I realized what the lesson was in an instant. That was the story that came to me. That was the lesson that crystallized. And it was like this, oh man, I can tell this story on this retreat just because that was the way the retreat was running. It wasn't meant to be anything. It was just guys hanging out and creating art and having a good time. So I wrote it down on a piece of paper, five acts, just a few prompts. I've decided to add some music. And there was such a magical moment, Matt. Oh my gosh, for the original guys, for the guys that were there for this first one, it was, it was an experience unlike anything I had ever, I had ever, ever had. Okay, this is, this was a truly spiritual breakthrough moment for my life personally. So this is my testimony. I decide I'm going to tell this. I get a group of 20-ish guys that are ready to listen. I talked to Danny Rios about helping me with some lights and stuff, but it was getting kind of late. You know, the energy had been high all day. Danny was upstairs asleep, and I was... I didn't want to ask Danny to get up from his slumber. You know, I wanted him to rest. So I decided to start the show anyway. I start telling the opening monologue. <laughs> I'm, I'm really getting close to hitting the, the first like punch in the show. And Danny starts walking down the stairs like his like like some spirit had ripped him awake and just knew that he needed to be right on time he walks downstairs and starts walking over and as i say the line i shit you not he flips off the lights and it goes completely dark i spark <laughs> story joint then he flicks on his globe like swirly lights and as I blew out the smoke and, the, and the, that new light comes on, the music hit. And do we went 
off together. Mm. We all went. The only way I can describe this, this will not make sense, but I will do my best to express my experience in this moment. But I felt as if I was soul splitting my consciousness and being in form three places at the same time. The first thing that I noticed was that I could feel way more in my body than I had ever been aware of before at the same time. I could feel my heart like beating. I could feel my breath. I could feel blood running through my veins as I was standing there because I'm elevated. I'm excited. You know, I'm ready to tell the story. So that's the internal space that I'm occupying at like, I don't know, Jedi level or something. Okay. I've never experienced it. So that's one. The second place that I understood that I was, was in the physical room that I was sharing space with the guys. in. I, I could feel their energy and I could feel that it was all being pulled and I could pull them and push them and pull them and push them with the show. And they were like, they were just mine to move. You know, I was totally in control and it was rad. And then the last place that I was, was physically reliving the experience of being in Jamaica with my friend. Mm. I could smell the smell of Jamaica. I could like feel the physical hardness of the chair that I'm sitting in, being in the taxi. It was just so clear to me sensory wise mm -hmm. that I was reliving this experience <clears throat> in a like time overlap, soul splitting my consciousness. It was completely radical. And when I was done, and it was like the show was over. I was laying back in my chair, like I was physically crying and I was smiling and I had realized that I had never had that much fun mm -hmm. doing anything in my entire life. That this thing had been present and available to me for that long that I had never touched before. And now I was feeling it in real time. It was absolute bliss. What was different there, man, where, where, and I imagine, I imagine that on this trip, there was a lot leading up to you telling that story for the first time, but what was different where you felt that you could step into that role and give yourself permission to express yourself in that way? To be honest, it was seeing myself in a group of men that I, many of whom I had revered for a long time. And for the first time, really feeling the sense of belonging. I belong here among these men, these great men. I'm worthy of taking up space among these group of great men who, many of whom take up a lot of space in the best ways. Mm -hmm. It was giving myself my permission to belong and to know that actually, dudes, I'm really good at this and I'm going to blow your fucking minds. <laughs> so let's go. Like, this is going to be something that you don't want to miss. And it was and it is 
and it's a real cool but also uh nerve-wracking phase that i'm in that it's like okay this has happened this is this is a thing you can deny this gift and this blessing and and uh just pack it up or you can honor it and you can share it and really go for it man so i'm actually really going for it uh Mm. updates is that i actually have the footage and audio of that night also here's for some context for the listeners i didn't know it was going to be recorded it was not part of the plan right (laughs) and here i was i was i was like right when i was uh doing it at the strong coach summit it was like in the opening monologue i realized oh wow the cameras are up and then right when i had the realization the uh yannick the camera the videographer and the auditor he he was like right behind me and he got he was just so like like a pro and he was just in and out he said just lift your arms up here for a second but i'm just gonna i'm just gonna mic you up and i was like oh my god this shit's <laughs> happening let's go I, you know what's cool and i gave a presentation uh at the at the summit on final day and um I, I, he wasn't filming me. And then when I started to talk, uh, he came up to me and he's like, dude, I didn't realize what you were going to be talking about. And this is gold. And then he did the same thing. He's like, can you lift your arm for a second? I still haven't seen those videos, by the way. I don't know if they actually exist. There's no film in those cameras. (laughs) (laughs) Well, luckily it's all video. So it was uh, all show. You just uh, what you have to do is just like send him a gazillion messages. (laughs) Not that he's not responsive; he's very responsive. I was just very persistent (laughs) because I'm like because I have I feel a sense of urgency to bring this out. Um, And you have that whole you have the whole um, story like recorded, and you have that footage now. And and so you know, like fully transparent, it was like he was realizing on the fly that this was going to be something worth recording. So good yeah. on him for getting me as much amazing material as he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, you know, like, it, but you could tell it was like, oh shit, we should do this on the fly, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm still working on putting together a package version that looks clean and slick and at least would uh, uh offer a great introduction to my storytelling to someone else that could possibly say produce a more intentional mm. version of the show and then, another time yeah yeah well it's all it's all available to us right so it's uh just going for it when you get the opportunity i um I'm, i would love to examine and and for my list for the listeners of this show people who have been listening to to me for a long time they know i I like to uh, I like to get pretty philosophical with with some of this stuff. And there's a lot of things that you said um, that we could unpack in terms of like, um, you know, those the things that you were shown when you were told that story for the first time, how you felt um, and how you could put yourself back into that, you know, onto that road trip, that backpacking trip. And you felt what it felt like to sit in the cab or, you know, sit on that chair in in Bob Marley's house and. <laughs> and the smell and and you know we can we can look at the the fact that you know memories are stored uh somatically and and in our senses not so much in our thoughts so the feel the taste the smell 
and all of those things, the sounds. And, and I imagine like, and I, this is why when I was in the audience and I could see around the room, like everyone was leaning in and then packing up and moving around. We were all doing that. And it was like, we were transported into this place because you recreated a lot of, um, I imagine a lot of like just times that we've, we could relate to um, maybe not directly. Like I wasn't there on that trip with you and, and, uh, and your friend at the time, but I, you know, I've been in similar situations where we, uh, you know, we got into a little bit of trouble or we were, had a little bit of fear or we were on this grand adventure and we didn't really know what to expect. And we were just kind of going with the flow and everything seemed to work out. And, and uh, that connection with the music and the way that you moved around the space, it really brought everybody into this like unified consciousness in a way, mm. <laughs> getting weird about it. No, let's keep getting <laughs> weird about it. And I, I want all of this footage, my brother. Yes, because this is oh, yeah, a, it's fun, man. It, it is really welcomed to hear that the experience that you were having is mm -hmm. the one that I was, um, in a way, attempting to elicit. Yeah, you curated um, that. To curate that space for everybody to, to allow themselves to be led on a story. And the reason is because this is the way that knowledge and wisdom has been passed for as long as humans have been speaking words. Uh, we've been teaching lessons in the form of stories that can become parables, myths, fables. I would say the, the king says yes is, is more like a fable, except it happens to be true. You know, this, this, this happens to be a true story, but it mm -hmm. operates more like a fable in that it's a, a tale that the what's true about it is less about the specifics and more about the situations, you know, the relationship to truth and knowing. And once you felt truth in that sense that you can relay it in a many, many different types of words and phrases, and they'll connect with people. Mm -hmm. And yeah. you made that, you made the decision ahead of time, maybe not the first time, but definitely at the summit, you made the decision to add in the, uh, the lesson and telling this, retell this story of what happened on that adventure you were on in, from your perspective. And that's the lesson that you took away from it, where it is a fable in that regard, where it's a true story. And it's also your perspective and your, um, your takeaways. And that's what you learned. And you want other people to see that. And so you use the right words, the right um, body language and, um, you know, creating the right environment so that people can feel what you felt and then know what you know now, what you it's, now know. It's very challenging for individual humans to live into a future that they can't imagine. Mm. And so we... In fact, this skill of being able to do that, to be able to live into a vision that no one has ever imagined, we have a very particular word that we designate for people like that. And it's a word that we use to lift people up. And that's a visionary. So when someone is a visionary, we're acknowledging that they're able to be one of the rare humans that can imagine a future without a precedent and make it true. Visionary. Most people need a model to work into. Okay, 
So there's a lot of different ways to create models for people to work into. Uh, stories are one. We can make physical writing. We could write physical weightlifting program, and that's putting someone in a model. Okay. So if we want people to uh, express into the life that they want, we have to give them this opportunity to live into it by giving them a model. And it really helps if you can help them feel into it. Okay. Mm. This to me is a new layer. There's giving somebody a model that they can see. Yes. But if you can help people feel into a new lesson or reality, they're going to be a little more closely tethered to it and can integrate to it more closely and stabilize it after the show, as opposed to it just being something that's held in their mind's eye. Uh, the mind eye is great, but if you can feel it, I, I believe that's a layer closer to getting the repetition that you need, that momentum that you need from the physical stimulus to keep that uh, lesson perpetuating out after the show. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does. And, and it goes back to what we know about how memories are created. It's the layering of our senses, feeling, hearing, and seeing right and if the more we can combine in the right in that environment or at that one moment of time it like solidifies all right i'll give you some more backdoor into the show then. <clears throat> go for um, it that's why i have the callbacks what does the king say matt yes yeah the king says yes yeah what does the king say king says yes exactly <laughs> so you get them to anchor it with their words as well mm. cuz they're saying it and hearing it okay this is because now it's like, what does the king say? And then people, it's like a joke, but you don't realize you're, it's anchored in. Yes. It's another wheel in the cog to like keep the mental, physical, emotional carry forward going. And it's so now every time we say that, we're also reminded of the story and reminded of the feeling and reminded of the feeling. Exactly. Now How affirmations the, work too. And that, it, well, that, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. I'm giving people a mantra and an affirmation, but it's in the form of a interactive performance based show. And they're having fun while doing it. Like they're it's, it's the playfulness. An, another there. anchor. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so there's a certain level of disarming that happens when I consume cannabis while telling it, uh, it, it, it a lot kind of cannabis. Of, <laughs> okay a lot of cannabis <laughs> okay yeah I, that's another I, how do you do that man how do you <laughs> oh man it's it's a complete surrender you give up you give in yeah i imagine i have to give in to the experience there. because if I try to remember this story word for word, it, it, it just, it, that doesn't mix with cannabis. Mm. I have to relive the experience and I can sh still sharpen my skill set by being present to likes, ums, mm. you know, uh, but besides uh, getting better at my craft by, you know, being able to more accurately present the language that I want I still don't want to have to go through the trouble of remembering mm. quote unquote lines in the show um so there's that's how I am able to harmonize those things is also by having the other elements that do a lot of the work mm -hmm. uh, for the show as opposed to me 
by myself being the person that teaches all of the things mm-hmm. uh, that I only plant it in their mind. You know, no, I want them to have a full on body experience with callbacks, with the excitement and the fun and the memory of this just being a fun experience. I can tether that emotion, the emotion of experiencing fun to the invitation that I'm making to them. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes we can make invitations on the heels of making a semi-scary, uh, telling a semi-scary relationship and story, which kind of presents a, it's hard to mash those things together. So fun and the lesson go really strongly together. And the invitation for people in the show outside of taking away the lesson, the invitation is for you to put yourself in positions where you can learn to say yes to the things that you're really about what you really want to do and it's an invitation to look more deeply at the choices that you're making Mm. you know are you taking the action behind the change quote unquote that you want to see in the world are you becoming the version of yourself that you're going to be really proud of and uh that you if you were going to write a book as an older person like you know, would this be what you hoped would be in this chapter of your life? And if it's not, what action can you take to more diligently work yourself towards that chapter that makes you feel uh, electrified and excited to be alive and excited to write about someday? Um, And it's been, I'm realizing now it's taken me roughly 15 years to fully integrate and crystallize that story from a memory Mm -hmm. and start to write in a way that's reflective and honest about those experiences. And I imagine that is for me, what is going to be the gap. Maybe, you know, I'll just be writing 15 years behind where I'm at in my life in a, in a sense expressing Mm -hmm. because I've, that, that seems to be the life cycle through which I'm learning and really integrating lessons. It's happened to me in coaching. It's happened to me in other, it's happened to me in taking advice uh, about being a a good man. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, it's taken me roughly 15 years to crystallize the very deep, more complex life lessons that I've uh, accrued so far. I'm sure that's, that has a lot to do with how we, you develop your, your thinking and then what, what you're able to do, how you're able to think about things. You know, it took, it took me a very long time to be able to look at my teenage years objectively and, and form, uh, opinions about myself that were, uh, more accurate. Whereas, you know, I spent a lot of my time, uh, you know, at, in growing up, believing things about myself that weren't true. And then as I started to find, find things out about life and have more wit, get more wisdom, gain more experience, I was able to look back and and say to myself or extrapolate the lessons learned, right? And I'm sure in the moment when you were on that trip in Jamaica and hey, just rem- remembering the story that you told, I remember you even saying something along these lines, like you you didn't belong there or 
you know, who is this guy? He's what, 17, 18 years old or something like that. And uh, that wasn't the, the lifestyle that you knew was possible. And you were a different person then. And this lesson didn't exist then, except now you can look back and say, wait a minute, this taught me something. Yeah, it wasn't a lesson yet, but it was the uh, spur. Mm. You know, it was the thing that got me, it got me going, you know? And so that like, in a way, the lessons that you learn are the things that get you going, you know, and there's a lot of pattern interrupts or things mm-hmm. that come up that, that, that spur the action, you know, so- there's an innocence to it too. And, and, and this is an, uh, this is the, the cool thing about being young and naive is that you don't overthink and look for lessons and everything. Yes. You, and it's also the, go with the flow. it's also the way that you put yourself in situations where, you know, you have the ruptures and you have the breaks and, right. and those ruptures and breaks are the lessons I've had so many ruptures and so many transitions in my life, you know, and then it just took me uh, a, a while to stabilize them, process them, uh, unpackage them and looked at them objectively again, you know, there's the emotional like packing and, and, and doing, but then there's also being critical of your, actions that you were taking, you know, um, mm-hmm. you can mend yourself emotionally while also being mentally critical and honest, uh, of the things that you were doing to contribute to whatever pain that you just experienced. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I believe in our community, we call that personal responsibility. <laughs> uh, and, and so uh, I'm learning this when I'm learning it and, uh, which is, man, can I, this is not a complete shift gears, but you're, since you like philosophy and stuff, can we talk about words? Always. Words was, are magic. I was, I'm going to use a word here. I was nescient back then. Mm-hmm. Do, you know, do you know this word? This is a new word to me. Nescient. I'm trying to bring it back. Trying to bring it back from where? Well, if you don't know it, it's because it's been, it's, it's because it's been sanitized out of the human language. And, and I'm, and I'm starting to guess why, but go ahead. Sanitized. No, what's the definition? All right, so nescient is... Oh, nescient, not meshent. I was... Nescient. <laughs> ne- nescient is when you yeah. make a mistake because you don't have the information or the experience. So a lot of the mistakes that I was making as a young man, that I made as a younger man, were were made from, from a place of nescience. Mm-hmm. which is that I, I didn't have the experience or the knowledge. So when I experienced the fault, it was due to not knowing. The other word that we use often is ignorant. Um, you're ignorant to something. But <laughs> ignorance is often used instead of nescience when it should be appropriately used nations and ignorance is actually, if you really focus on breaking down the word, you'll see more closely what it means. If you said it differently, like ignorant, ignorant, mm-hmm. what does that signal that you are ignoring? Yeah. And to yeah. ignore something, you have to know that it exists. Right. So the, so nescient is not knowing that it actually exists. So ignorance would be inaccurate for sure. Yeah, so there, uh, I could uh, wax poetically about a lot of yeah. uh, the issues of the world are 
born of nescience and a lack of tolerance for nescience because we assume that it's ignorance and can only be ignorance once they have seen it and mm-hmm. understand it. Then, then it, it's one is responsible for not being ignorant of this thing. Okay, so, um, but the the nescience and the ignorance thing. If we bring nescience back, then it gives. <laughs> the opportunity for this other reality to exist. And uh, there may or may not be institutions that would prefer ignorant be the only word we have to describe anything at any time. Mm-hmm. And I will digress. There's much, I, there's much less conflict in nations. Exactly. Much and less it, conflict. <laughs> and then that makes being wrong. There's a, there's a whole stigma about being wrong. That's mostly born into us through uh, standardized testing and, and going to school and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. You're, you're taught not, you're taught to avoid being wrong uh, and, and, and to, ev- to value being wrong as negative and creates a polarized relationship to right and wrong. And uh, you know, you go your whole life assuming that being ignorant is wrong or and not having information is wrong. And it's, and it's, and it's terrible you throw nescience back into the mix, then that opens up the possibility that being uh, wrong or right isn't the only option. Uh, mm. There's not knowing. And then people might start to ask, uh, what do I not know? And then they may start looking into uh, what is called occulted information. Mm-hmm. Occulted. Occulted means hidden. Hidden from what? Well, it's built into the word, ok hidden from the eye, hidden from sight. So information that is occulted is information that is hidden from the eye, all right? And so you might start to realize that there is hit information that has been hidden from the eye that you don't know. And the reason that you don't know is that you didn't know that not knowing was an option. Mm. It's because it's not no longer exists in the language. It's been taken out of our world and our sight when the language gets hijacked. And we know this to be true in other areas of our life. If you study business, then you undoubtedly will one day saunter on into reading a marketing book. Mm-hmm. A marketing book is a book about how to influence people. And the surefire way to influence people is to use the right words couple of the right words with the right images and the right sounds you got a nice little cocktail for influence and in fact there are entire departments and i want people to understand this there are entire departments of people really smart like insane genius level people uh and not so genius level people that study a line of techniques that can when done properly supplant and and a memory into your brain and excise one out without your knowledge or consent and there are actually government departments around the world that are open and they're public knowledge Uh, in england it's called the nudge department nudge just to give you a little push just Mm -hmm. just to give you a little push yeah that that exists and the way it exists everywhere And the way to free yourself, in a sense, or to provide a lot more security uh, over your own personal domain is to know, at least know that these things exist. You're you're now knowing that these things exist. If you're listening to this show, now you cannot unknow it. I have moved you from nescience to, now it's your choice, ignorance. 
Mm. Okay. You may choose to ignore that there is information that you're not supposed to see or know, uh, and they take words out so you don't even have a mental construct for uh, the reality of it being a real thing that you may then choose to see that people would prefer to nudge you in a particular direction without your consent with words and marketing mm -hmm. and other things that if you arm yourself with the right tools, then you can at least have a fighting chance of not falling into any uh, what I would call dark spell, because when we create words, we put symbols into words, and that's called spelling. Not the only person who's probably said this on the show, but it's called spelling for a reason. Blowing people's minds here, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you, you cast spells with your words yeah. that you've created. And if you are creating words that are meant to nudge and influence people in a negative word, that to me is black magic. That is a dark spell. But we can also use light spells, uh, which are the opposite of dark spells, to empower ourselves through <laughs> language. Mantras, the king says yes, right? All you of this motivate yourself, yeah, to do something. Yeah, yeah. It's a high. To, it, this is good for the micro and the macro. Mm -hmm. You spent some time in Asia, and I remember. I think I was listening to a Rogan episode with a woman who escaped from North Korea, and she talked about how certain words she didn't learn them until she escaped. And you know, this was in well into her later teens or early 20s and like words like love did not exist in North Korea like it was not even part of their culture and you do that long enough like imagine if we just took out a word from the American language and then four genera generations later nobody remembers it they find it in an old book and that's what that's what was happening there and, and I imagine like to, to experience something like that. And you, you can maybe attest to this, you know, having lived on the other side of the world, you know, was, was there anything that you noticed different in how people acted or behaved because of words that they used? You could not have teed <laughs> me up better. Oh, I know. One of my favorite <laughs> stories. This is so great. What a, what a wonderful opportunity to share this. What a wonderful opportunity to share this. I'm yeah, so man. stoked. Um, okay. Yes, there is a word in Korean that once I learned it, I realized that there we did not have a word to translate because mm -hmm. uh, it, it doesn't exist in our culture. Uh, and it maybe doesn't exist in our culture because we don't have a word for it. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how this story goes. Okay. <laughs> so um, you first need to understand that Eastern thought is a center out experience, meaning like you, you are part of a, I should say, you are a part of a collective whole. You're not a singular unit necessarily. Mm -hmm. Whereas Western thought is an individual eye thinking philosophy and perspective, especially in our, the American culture. I want to remove any value towards either of those things for a moment in this uh, next exercise or story. I just want to acknowledge that this is just the way that it is. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wes is individual. I, uh, you think about the I and then the we, and then, and then, uh, in the uh, Eastern side, it's we, and then the I. So, uh, 
one question that you will be asked if you go to Korea specifically um, is one of the early questions that you'll be asked is how old are you? All right. They'll ask you how old you are because your age um, determines or influences highly your place in the group. Mm. Okay. So if you uh, are, let's just say that four people go out to dinner and we know that we know each other's ages. We've been friends for a while and I'm the oldest in the group and Matt is the youngest in the group. Okay. I would know as the oldest in the group that I just have to sit back and chill. Okay. Matt would know um, because of his age and his place in the group that his role at the table is to serve everybody, make sure they have food and meat and uh, drinks and everybody's water cups is filled up. Okay. And nothing needs to be spoken. It's known that this is the culture and this is the way that it is. Okay. But because people can come in and out of a room at any time, it's always fluid. You understand? Mm. The dynamic could change at any moment. A fifth person could come and sit down that's younger than you, that happens to see his young names or older brothers that he looked up to because they went to university together and they were a little older or something, and they want to engage with the table and they come and sit down. If he's younger than you, Matt, you would know you literally stop doing what you were doing and new younger person picks up where you left off without words without any sort of prompt it's just known mm. that this is okay there is a word for this experience and it's yeah, what's called that called <laughs> nunchi 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 essentially means to see the situation and to know how to be mm. <laughs> okay to see the situation and to know how to be because there are pre described pre prescribed pre programmed mm -hmm. rules in the culture that determine the uh, uh, proper action within the we as the I. Okay. Mm -hmm. Whereas the I might focus on, I don't, I'm going to show up authentically and, and I'm going to show up as myself and I'm going to express how I want and I'll be loud or I'll be quiet. Like, you know, it's not predetermined. The, the outcomes are predetermined and it's because they've valued and seen lineage wise dating back for millennia now much longer than most western societies by a long shot um uh that they that these that this way of being works and and allows the society to perpetuate and to move forward you know um that is very uh the, the results of a culture like that are different than the results of a culture like ours, okay? Um, the way this would show up in a marketplace, for example, is, um, you know, the Americans produce the iPhone, the innovation, the thing that changes a market, changes an industry, becomes the standard, you know? Korea creates Samsung, which is modeling their innovation off of the innovators and, and then getting hyper- uh, specialized at repeating the process and producing a bunch of really high quality things uh, in a way that helps them win uh, by economy of scale and by like, you know, so it's actually really marvelous to see how this plays out in economy, uh, how the cultures show up different in the companies that are represented. Um, and that's so, so, so cool. But the point was, uh, there's, there's a word or a phrase, nunchi isoyo means I have or I experience nunchi. Uh, nunchi opsoyo means uh, it doesn't exist. Okay, so 
uh, means foreigners don't have nunchi they or they don't understand nunchi so there's different expectations of 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 a weguka or a foreigner because they understand that we don't even understand mm. what nunchi is yeah so there's a different set because nunchi because of nunchi they allow for not nunchi opsa you know it's like it's okay in this one area but not for koreans mm. you know it's like no 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 not for koreans for the west westerners People that aren't from here, we have it. Okay, fine. Different expectations. We know they don't know, but you're supposed to know. And if you're not uh, uh, getting into that, uh, then you are socially prodded in multiple different ways to get you back into the collective we. Mm -hmm. And there's dynamics that uh, that exist all over the place. So there. So essentially, nunchi means to. Uh, it, it's like the unwritten rules that everyone is, that everyone f- abides by, and, and and it's fascinating that they can allow it to happen to with, with foreigners because there's an understanding that it only exists in this culture. I, I will give you a like yeah. super down to earth way to try to describe this. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of a word too. I got that, you. I got you to you describe ready? it. So <laughs> if, do you know how to play mahjong? No. Me neither. It's a game, and I don't know the rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody who knows how to play mahjong would be able to spot really soon if I knew how to play mahjong. Okay. Because I wouldn't even know how to set up. Mm-hmm. It's the same with nunchi. It's a game. It's a set of rules. Yeah. It's a set of it's a set of constraints and rules that has its own okay limits and and boundaries, right? That everybody knows the rules, and you just don't know how to play mahjong. You know, <laughs> you just don't know how to play nunchi. You know, it's a Korean game that is built into the culture that no one's calling a game, I imagine. <laughs> I can Except see, for me. I can see I'm, that I'm, I'm coming for you. I like the way that you describe it as a game. It, um, is. it is for sure. And um, and it's also a, just a cultural norm for them. And, and we have things like that in the States, too. Like you enter into a courtroom and 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 you're entering in onto a game like a, a floor of a game. And yeah. Most when people you don't know to, they're consenting to a game. Yeah, and 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 also like, I don't know how to play the game until I hire a lawyer. Like they help me follow the rules and and whatever it is. But the the we have things like this that exist as well. We just don't have a word for it, and that's fascinating. Because if we well, did, we we may choose to go one layer further with our question, which is, who said that I had to play? the game right by your rules or does anyone question it It, by whose authority do i have to play these legal jargon games right now the answer is if you want to participate in the structures and the things that we have here you need to consent to these rules and by that i can say i i can see that but most people are not making an empowered choice they've never thought to ask the question so I'm curious in Korea, would you would you agree to to abide by that as a foreigner to respect the culture? And if so, what are the ramifications? My philosophy going in was to uh, to integrate as much as I as much as I personally could. Yeah. Um, to me, it 
felt like the most respectful thing to do. Mm-hmm. I, I was there by choice. Right. They, they consented and allowed me to come in as a non-national, forget race, non-national. Uh, mm-hmm. They allowed me to come into the country. And there's a set of rules that I've consented to ahead of time because I, that's the, I'm consenting to the rules. I'm consenting to the game. I don't have to consent to that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did choose to, and there were rules that were in place that I wouldn't have followed in another, in my own nation, but I followed in that country um, out of aspiration and what I consider to be respect because I was in choice being there. And in my opinion, you don't have to be an asshole mm-hmm. uh, and you don't yeah. have to be right. And a lot of the lessons that I would teach to people, especially Americans that travel is to like, seriously, like fuck off. <laughs> like, dude, just like, no with, okay, look, be that way in the States. Okay. Play that game because you don't have to go like you would hate it in reverse. You would hate it in reverse. If somebody from say France came here and only spoke French and belittled you for not knowing how to speak French. Cause you're a, uh, uh, ignorant American that is not cultured can only speak English and and we'd be like fuck you dude you know but we do that all the time it's a standard American thing loud brash thinking you know whatever tied to the military I get it you know our military is badass and I'm grateful for them I really am and at the same time it's like you can't just use this as an excuse to be an asshole all around the world (laughs) culturally you know it's it's like well that's what it is we go places and we think that everyone knows that too everyone knows we're badass motherfuckers and we're in charge and that's just our story that we tell ourselves as americans you know you can be a badass motherfucker and 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 be nice well yeah And, and in fact a lot more people would support your overall mission and um we'll take out badass and put in proud proud badass like that's what you can listen proud capable excited about being there and wanting to share that with others great um and you know i personally chose to again my my best friend at the time sam you know one of my best friends at the time person that i'm on and the king says yes he's the he's the spur that moved me that got me to move to korea to say yes to being an english teacher for the first time making my first like transition into that country Mm -hmm. like I wanted to, uh, in a way, like, you know, do my friend proud. Uh, yeah. He, you know, like I'd met his parents in Mexico and they shared with me a lot of Korean culture that they didn't have to share. And I was so grateful for that in Mexico of all places. And then uh, it happened that the when I moved there for the first time, Sam's parents moved back to the country for the first time in like 30 years or something, you know, it was like them being back in Korea. And even though Sam wasn't there, his sister who spoke very fluent English, just like Sam and would invite me over to be with their family. And they, it was like, we would have family dinners together. You know, Mm -hmm. it was like, so yes, I wanted to be as respectful and as integrated into the uh, culture as I possibly could. And it's because I made that choice Mm -hmm. that like I have it, you know, mm-hmm. and I, and I still have it just because I'm in the West doesn't mean that I lost it. I have it. You know, I keep mm-hmm. this with me, this state of knowing this, seeing the situation and knowing how to be, this is not something that I left in Korea. It's something that I get c- carry with me. That's the invitation to say yes to stuff because yeah. <laughs> this is what you really get. Okay. It's yes. The experience is important, but it's this, it, this is the stuff that you really get 
when you go places like this. This is that that was the feeling that I was having in Jamaica was like, I didn't know that I could feel a different way. I didn't know there was a different way of feeling that you only understand mm. around people feeling it also. Which That's, is that brings up the, the word nescient again. A lot of people in the United States are very nescient to the fact that there are so many other ways to live. And when I talk to people who have lived in other countries and traveled the world and experienced different cultures in that way, it, it's, 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 it's a beautiful thing for sure. And it's an eye-opening thing because you having lived on the other side of the world in another continent, experiencing a completely different culture and lifestyle and everything from the way that we experience life here in the States, especially if you grew up in a city or in a public school system or something like that, you have so much more, um, I don't want to say the word value. What's the word I'm thinking of here? Uh, the wisdom is, is definitely there. It's just more knowing, more understanding of uh, people and communication and, and, uh, and life in a lot of different ways. And I want to add on, it's, it's not only because this is very important as well. I'm not going to down now. It's not only that people then have a model Mm -hmm. for living, but the, when you understand feeling into something, it's different than your mind. Right. And so, yes, uh, mm-hmm. I can see diff- I Yes, I can choose to live differently in, in the outside world. But the inside feeling of it, when you access new layers of feeling by being integrated in another culture, that they feel that side all the time, you know, or at least they have access to this that you don't. But now mm-hmm. you do from being around them. That is your real experience. That is your real life that you're living is that inner thing that is that is driving you that that access to something <clears throat> beyond yourself that you feel when you feel into it uh so being able to integrate that into the show have you reflect that b- back to me later which is you felt yeah. it that's really where i'm trying to take all of the energy mm. is getting back to like now i understand that i can feel this way so i'm going to go find more things in my life that allow me to expand myself in that way Not i can imagine how uh and, and now like as we're making all these connections throughout this conversation i can imagine how marketing and sales works really well when you can tell great stories because a lot of times people are hesitant and afraid to cross a line or you know look over the fence and climb over and you know, go, go take the next steps, but there's a little bit of fear. There's not knowing what it's going to feel like. They only have their imagination. And the same thing, if I were to imagine what it's like to live in, in Korea, I have no idea. I only have what I think where I know how I feel living here in in the United States. Mm -hmm. And if you can help me you know, let's say you're selling me something. If you can help me feel what it's going to be like to own this thing or to go through this process with you, then I can, well, I'll trust you more for sure. And then also I'll, I'll have a better understanding of what is going to happen. Right. And, and there's, it takes out that it takes out the barrier of me having to uh, go through that anxious and nervous phase of doing it 
for the first time by myself, you know? Yes. And the nerves come from when you don't know what it feels like. Yeah. Which is, which is to, I'm going to say to my point, you're adding on to it. Thank you so much, which you're is welcome. <laughs> getting, it, getting into the feeling is, is mm -hmm. more impactful mm -hmm. than getting it into their mind because somebody can present you a really good idea of visually of what it's like, but until they're able to help you feel into it, you're always mm -hmm. going to have this nervous energy around the uncertainty, which means what are we seeking? Certainty. How are we seeking it? Through feeling certain, mm -hmm. not necessarily from being certain in all areas, but from feeling a certain level of certainty that allows mm -hmm. your body to be at ease. And that feeling you can, you can, uh, imagine someone who's listening who's lacking motivation in a way they're they're not able to do the thing they really want and they're preventing themselves for whatever reason that is the the lack of motivation comes from lacking knowing what it feels like and then i've i've experienced this once i get that feeling suddenly i'm motivated to go find it in more places like you'd said before uh, but at the time, it felt like the right thing to do to move from where I was, head coach, Reebok CrossFit Sentinel One in Seoul, South Korea, one of the biggest, largest CrossFit gyms in the world, ran by some of the best damn coaches that have ever coached. Uh, shout out to <laughs> Cody Hunter and Badger Atkins, Taylor Rank, John Britton, John the Body Britton. These dudes are just savages. Like old school CrossFitters might know these guys. They're just the best. Uh, but I got to, uh, again, move to this new situation okay so another thing that's constantly a theme in my life is that i follow the carrot and then it doesn't work out <laughs> okay but but it works out differently something else works out yeah. something else works out that i actually really want yeah okay? you put an expectation out totally. there and then it's not exactly what you want totally so i moved to korea for the first time to get a certain thing but like it turns out i was able to get into grad school because of this other experience in korea you know now i'm still in korea and then i was able to get the next job with the right thing and there was the girl that i wanted to be with so i went back to korea and yada 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 so it's like oh, okay great so now i'm back in the states and, and the gym worked out fine it was just it wasn't the reason i came home i ended up meeting hallie my wife like two three months after i mm -hmm. moved home and she had just graduated from high school i I had just I was 27 I had just spent like five of my years and living in the most insane fun edge wise cities in the whole world I'm like the dating scene is just different it's just like a whole different lifestyle you know and it was like the last thing I expected was to come home and 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 find uh marry a girl from where I went to church from a hometown that was white and like went to the same <laughs> you know it was like the last thing I expected and she didn't expect to meet somebody right out of high school but it was clear to our friends that we liked each other and it like that that's a story of me coming home but getting what i mm -hmm. i carry with me to this day which is now my life partner and the person that i've shared so much with and is uh if i'm i'm personally responsible but if i can assign some help and uh responsibility hallie has been more impactful on me than any human that's ever uh, existed ever it's not even close ever 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 mm -hmm. um, she has been the most incredible teacher of my life and um you know without her i can't imagine where i would be in this that's world. her testimony that is that is my testimony for her Your testimony I, I for her a hundred percent so that's another example of something that it's like man love is the ultimate act of choosing a certain game set of parameters. And then like, mm -hmm. uh, we could talk about constraints here too. You could <laughs> ask me, you know, I want to stick to the question. You asked me if there oh. was experiences like that, where I was learning lessons. Is that right? 
Yeah. Well, what, what was the, well, you answered part of the question, you know, like what brought you back and, and what, yeah. what lessons are you carrying with you still? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. The lesson is, the lesson is experience, uh, experience outweighs knowledge and it's not even close. Mm. Uh, I overvalued my knowledge of things for so long that it created a subconscious ego trip that I was not fully aware of that was causing me to compare the wisdom of experience that people were trying to give me with my personal perspective and calculation of the world at odds. And I chose to value my knowledge and passion over wisdom and experience of mentors and wonderful men who aspired to help me and see me along the way. And unfortunately for yours truly, I spoiled some really wonderful mentorships. Uh, I, maybe not spoiled, but certainly um, if there's no hard feelings, it's just, I don't know if I have access to that, to that wisdom and tutelage again. And that's a real shame, you know, because there were wonderful, wonderful mentors in my life that I wouldn't, I couldn't allow myself to see because of how much emphasis I put on knowledge mm -hmm. and was taught to put on knowledge to be, to be fair uh, to myself. some in this manner, but it's not a cop-out. I was responsible for it. So that like, again, it, it also was a uh, belief that there was somewhere else to be and that, mm -hmm. that, that other thing would be better. Uh, that eventually I would know it when I found it, that the next thing that would be better, that I would finally hit it and it would make sense. Like this is where it is. But um, I realized also that that was a choice, mm -hmm. you know, being where you are is, is a choice in the moment. You know, it's not some, it's not a thing that you arrive at. Um, it's a choice that you make. So those are two lessons that really have continued to echo uh, further into the work that I'm doing right now is, okay, I couldn't, I didn't see it. I was, in this sense, I was ignorant. They gave me the information. I was ignorant. I needed to at least honor and acknowledge that I was being ignorant before I could actually like make a change. Uh, and I still can carry that wisdom that they gave me then with me and choose to apply it now, which I do. And so um, I can, to some degree, let go of the relationship and keep the wisdom and wish them the apps, like send as much love and gratitude to them as, as I possibly can, both mm -hmm. in spirit and in writing sending them a car, sent them a card, just like, thank you. You know, uh, I know that it did not work out how everybody wanted it to, but thank you because mm -hmm. I see now, and this is like in the future, I'm realizing this, you know, and like retroactively sending gratitude to the best of I, to my ability. So um, there's a lesson here being built right now for me in this moment, which mm -hmm. is it's never too late to say thank you to somebody. It's mm -hmm. never too late to send someone gratitude to for something that they've impacted in your life uh most people i'll speak into most people um it would love to hear that mm -hmm. most people would be thrilled to hear that no matter how fractured it seemed when you left off um because you know 
at the end, like uh, people shuffle off of this mortal coil left and right um, happens in masses every day. And um, you don't always get another opportunity to say thank you. I I think that, you know, and I I can relate to those lessons for sure. And uh, I think sometimes in the moment, especially when you're younger, and and I'm, I'm sure this happens all throughout your life, regardless of age or time on this planet, right? But in the moment, there the ego gets in the way, even if it's not a conscious thing, right? Even if you're not doing it on purpose and telling someone they're wrong, you you may actually say that you're like, hey, you're wrong, I'm right, whatever. But sometimes it's not, it's not unconscious. You're just doing your own thing because of a passion or a desire to chase this thing. Um, and you're also listening and absorbing and, and, and comparing and the, the knowledge that you have right now may not be what you need to take that wisdom and utilize it. Just like you and Sam, when you're in Jamaica and, and you could have, you know, 15 years from now, you may be able to write about it and tell a story that's valuable and, and, and say, oh, well, oh man, I wish I did this years ago, but you, you didn't. So what are you going to do now about it? And, and I'm sure everyone listening can relate to that. I certainly can. And, you know, we have these stories we tell ourselves about relationships and situations that happen that we either lost or not, but maybe that's just our perspective. Like we, maybe that was the lesson too, like that we take the time and we learn, we have to learn. And wisdom, I, I imagine wisdom really comes from learning ourselves and people can teach us all they want, but we have to feel it, experience it in order for it to stick, right? <laughs> and and that, could, that could happen in a moment if you have a really good coach or if you are a really good coach, you can get someone to feel it right away and they'll listen to you. Or if you have a really good story. Or if you got a really good story. All right. Well, and I, I, dude, I truly think that coaching and storytelling are not, I think they're the same thing. Yeah. Um, they can, they can mm-hmm. be the same thing. There's many different styles of coaching and there's many different styles of storytelling. So uh, I'm realizing that the mm. tens of thousands of hours that I've put into coaching, you know, whether it goes back to me uh, as a 21 year old coaching competitive baseball teams, uh, if it's coaching people in the dojo, like, you know, I'm counting damn near 20 years of coaching experience, uh, 10 of which have been full-time as a professional. I've started mm-hmm. to put in some time as a coach and I realize that that's all storytelling time too. It's mm-hmm. always, it's connecting people to a purpose and a mission and an intention and an outcome and, and helping them construct a reality uh, in the form of habits and good stories that allow them to take action uh, behind who they want to be in this life. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's all these different storytellers out there that are connecting with people differently. And I, I think that's the real magic of sharing and, and teaching is, is because you never know, you never know what someone is going to take away from what you said or who's going to happen to hear it. And it can shift their life in an instant, you know, and what a detriment to the world it would be if we, if we kept that from people. Um, so the more that you can share this magic of learning and facilitation with consent within a way that is invited and fun and welcome, but passing this stuff on in a way that's non-dogmatic is, is how we 
allow people to discover for themselves those magic things, those magic moments, those magic situations, those magic stories, those magic times with the people that you love, you know, like you help people discover the magic for themselves. Mm -hmm. That's where you know that you've, you know, hit uh, a mastery level, so to speak, as a coach or uh, as a kind, compassionate human being, or even as a storyteller, is that you can help people access that in a way that's uh, they they felt like they did it themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where I imagine you are able to really help your clients is with that ability, right? That Matt, you've mastered that ability to, to help people see that for themselves. I hope that is uh, what my clients get. They seem to say that for themselves (laughs) on a semi-regular basis. Um, I'm just grateful that people uh, grant me their trust to be able to access those more vulnerable and more challenging parts because behavior change is 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 tricky and it's sticky and it's got a lot of different uh things that are at play when you try to change behavior so it's not just uh you know a mindset thing it's it's a full body experience that you're looking to transition and a whole experience of the world that you're looking to transition um and i know some people would say it doesn't have to be so esoteric and complicated but um it it doesn't have to be you're right but it's also a lot more boring (laughs) you know i like to go into the breadth of the experience because i personally draw more uh awareness of my life and i can use something as innocuous as weight training you know to access these deeper parts of the human experience um, it doesn't always take reading a philosophy book uh, or you know dosing mm-hmm. you know psilocybin although that helps uh, you know it can be choosing to garden uh, choosing to be present to the full body experience of eye gazing with your partner having a good conversation taking a nice Mm. Slow, deep breath and just be there. Tell me about Chop Club for Men. Where did that where did that come from? Well, the godfather of Chop is Dave Robinson. Okay, so uh if if the chop has been uh brought forth by any any human, it is the one and only Dave Robinson of uh, get in lifted podcast fame of get strapped stay strapped nation of OCR world championship qualifier that's obstacle course racing world championship qualifier uh, the guy who is the the best fisherman that I've personally uh, had the grace to to meet and um, is the exact human being that spurred me and Hallie's move to Richmond Virginia from our hometown in Memphis. Mm. And it's because he was all about the chops. And I just wanted to get in on what he called the chops, which is the daily work. Mm-hmm. You know, he just, he's great at putting in the daily work. He puts in the reps on his, on his profession. He puts in the reps on his uh, performance goals. He puts in his reps on his garden outside. He puts in his reps on his relationship with his partner. Like he's about the chops and uh, you know, we desire to move what better, a place to start than going into a community that wants us to be there and is already there, you know? Mm-hmm. So we jumped at the opportunity to make this move. Um, and we 
Dave. And actually, okay, here, here's how it really happened. What really <laughs> happened is that last year, Hallie bought me a race to a Spartan race. Okay. I had been uh, semi training for one, a 5k, 10k. I was working with a track and field, uh, summer camp. And so Hallie two weeks out, she's like, uh, she's called Dave, Dave, you know, knows what to do. And she can't, wait to surprise me and she's like babe i just can't wait any longer i got you a ticket to a spartan race you're going to west virginia and you're gonna do the beast with your boy dave and i was like wait did you just sign me up for a half marathon <laughs> obstacle course race through the mountains of west virginia right now two weeks out she's like is that not the race you were training for i was like you're training for the 5k not the 21k eight and a half miles up and down this freaking mountain but it was a beautiful magical mm -hmm. wouldn't trade it for the world one of the most funs i've had doing any event in my life i enjoyed every freaking step of it okay i loved it did you doubt yourself there <laughs> never but i was like two weeks out for a half marathon like let's see what happens you know i'm gonna finish it but like let's see what happens mm -hmm. uh and and i felt great so i was also very happy about that and we uh went back to richmond we're recovering dave's got the ice bath dave's got the hot tub we're doing mm -hmm. contrast therapy where you know cannabis is legal in virginia you can grow it in your backyard so we're having some of uh, dave's homegrown cannabis sitting right there and it's, it's like i hit peak relaxation you know like, oh, most vulnerable open and dave looks at me dead in the eyes matt and he said you know if you moved here we could do this every day <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, oh, for real. And less than 30 days later, uh, I re report um, we moved to Richmond and we live 0.9 miles away from Dave and his partner. And then we started chopping together and we realized that uh, there was a segment of the market that was being fairly underserved and we could provide a unique solution to that problem, at least one that was different than what people were marketing. And the underserved area was men that are in their 35 to 55. They're in the mastery phase of their life. They're growing a business. They're crushing it. But because they're crushing it, their habits aren't matching in their health and lifestyle the same and the standards that they have for their business. Mm -hmm. And, and, and they, you know, think they need a personal trainer or something like that. Uh, but they don't have any time. So we said, what if we could help them get healthy while they work? Cause like family and work are going to be their number one and number two or one, a one B all the time, all the time, telling them to add an hour of training and all the stuff of the day. Most of them don't want to mess with it unless it's in person with a trainer. So mm -hmm. let's decide to teach them how to get healthy while they work. We came from that pitch and uh, we told them to get in on the chops uh, as a, as a starter name, not knowing how people would respond to it. And people were like, we love the chops. We love the chops. We're like, all right, fuck it. It's chop club. You know, let's like, let's just keep it chops, you know? Like, so uh, we, we kept it chops and chop club was born. We offer a mastery level program uh, in two ways. And so, you know, we have two different client archetypes that we serve. They're the same man in different phases of their life. The mastery phase is like, boom, business is booming. Money's not an issue. They're already used to hiring coaches uh, for other areas of their life. So like spending the level that they spend on coaching, it makes sense to them because they already have pre precedent for it in their, in their uh, space. Um, whereas our, what we would categorize is like our riser man um you know he has a more he has a different view of health and wellness and where he's at in his life so uh his product needs to match more of what he is comparing it to in the marketplace which is usually that crossfit gym that mm -hmm. f 45 membership 
you know, um, any of the things that they're choosing to value that 200 to $250 an, uh, a month. It's like, how can we provide a solution for them in that range that provides more value than what they're getting experientially from the CrossFit gym? Mm-hmm. Um, and so some choose to jump on that value. Some like the camaraderie of a CrossFit gym in a way that we don't provide in a physical sense. Um, and so there's still lots of room to grow there. But for guys that are really self-starters and don't need the gym thing, uh, especially, the, it's a perfect program for them because we, we teach them exactly how to set it up for themselves. Mm-hmm. And what kind of things, what kind of results do you notice they experience in that phase, in the riser phase? Oh, the results that they're going to get right out of the gate is that they're going to realize that training can be fun, which to me is like a huge return right out of the gate. You get so much of your time back when you stop wasting it on stuff that you hate. Like, so I'm giving you your time back, whatever your time is worth, whether it's $10 an hour or a hundred dollars an hour, I've just given that back to you for the next forever. Okay. So that's, that's what it's worth. You know, however many hours you train a week, you can do the math, but it's forever that you realize now I don't have to do shit that I don't like and still get results. Oh, perfect. New paradigm. And then the second thing is that they're going to get a certain level of education that the CrossFit gym can never provide. We're going to be able to talk to things at a high level that guys that really like to learn are going to connect with, which is like, hey, we're going to give you some really badass information. And we're also going to teach you how to use it in 90 minutes. And we're also going to set you up on accountability call because we want you to show up for us and and us for you every month to -hmm. keep making sure that you're putting in the chops. And then we give them the accountability in forms of scorecards like thick, tangible KPIs that they can see. I need to hit Mm -hmm. this and that, and I have resources. So we provide a ton of value in our toolkit. And And programming and programming. Yeah. Yeah. Programming is just, that's the, that's the cream. (laughs) Like that's the cream that you get. I mean, of course we provide programming. Like, yeah, that's the easy part. That's the easy part. I've got years (laughs) and years and years and years of programming that I know works, you know, you can have it. It's not something I'm going to make you pay for. It's like, you can have it. Uh, But, but I want to show you, and this is the part where other uh, like places like those, uh, they can't really they don't know how to create the context for why it matters. Right. They've got the programming. They've got the fancy equipment. Totally. They exactly. also offer, but they also offer the social environment, the yeah. culture around that. Great. And yeah. hundred percent. And it's worth it. Uh, so yeah. I, I would say that you, you don't have to, you can value either one of those. And if you're a person that values that and you have the cash to spare, um, we would be a great compliment to mm-hmm. your experience, we would enhance your CrossFit experience. I oh, guarantee yeah. you that. I was a CrossFit athlete for five years. I've worked for literally, I've worked with literally some of the best CrossFit coaches in the whole wide world. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been, I fell ass backward and I felt like into most of those opportunities, but I was there and it did happen. So uh, fuck it. That's part of who I am, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I loved CrossFit for where, what it was. And I also saw where it was limited. And the part that I personally needed to separate myself was to liberate myself in the types of conversations I could have around health and wellness in my gym. Because as soon as I put CrossFit on the door, people had a predetermined market expectation for my product, and I chose to pick philosophy over business, and you know, it it, it yeah. went about as well as you think it did, uh, and so you know, but it but it did shift the conversation, uh, and I know that the people who really know know that it was because I took a leap 
outward and chose to push the conversation forward where I was yeah. from. Uh, you know, it, when I started uh, recess, there weren't a whole lot of conversations with marketing that involved the word fun for many mm-hmm. of the gyms around. And now it's everywhere. So, you know, like I, I knew that fun had to be part of the equation of fitness in the future. Why? Why, Matt Gallo? Because fun is what you feel. Mm. I knew that fun had to be part of the conversation because fun is what you feel. And in CrossFit, at least in the culture at that time, we were taught not to feel. We were taught to be ignorant of our bodies because the math and the work was the thing that was the most valuable in Mm. that cultural norm. Where did you finish on the whiteboard? It doesn't matter, but it matters. You know, it doesn't have that was effective too, in its own way. A hundred percent for a person that likes to play a certain way. There are, uh, according to Dr. Stuart Brown, there are eight play archetypes, one of which is the competitor and the CrossFit attracted as a game set and as a culture, the competitor archetype, most of whom were former athletes. It also attracted something called kinesthletes or people that really like being physical, but don't necessarily have to win or lose, which is how CrossFit started hitting uh, a new level in its um, cultural awareness was there's a bridge that happened culturally between the original competitor days and what is now the mass market phase of CrossFit, where anybody off the couch is, is invited to come in uh, and can possibly, hopefully, find a CrossFit gym that can uh, foster the type of culture and environment that they need to be successful, whether at without shame or guilt and just showing them the next step. Um, but I, again, haven't been in too many CrossFit gyms. Uh, the ones that I've been in, still mirror the culture that I left more so than the culture that I hope that they are trying to create in the future. And still progress takes time. I can be uh, tolerant and, and, but just invite people into a new reality. Um, And so, yeah, it it attracted that type of player. Um, But I knew that looking at the market, um, competitors took up a very limited portion of the archetypes of the average American. And if you look at the health statistics, you can just tell less and less people are adopting health culture into their uh, family norms, into their, you know, into their systems, uh, whether that be government or otherwise. It's not something that's really being prioritized with dollars in a I think in a way that's intelligent and starts from a place of understanding that health isn't just a bunch of metrics on a piece of paper, that it all goes down to feeling. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are given as a society, most of our options and our food and our entertainment is things that take away our ability to feel over time, the more we use them. The more we use them, the less we can feel. The more I stare at my phone, the less dopamine and happiness and mm-hmm. I can get from a simple interaction with a stranger. The uh, more I eat Oreos and things that have been intentionally made to addict you to their properties, intentionally, on purpose, recorded, admitted, nobody gives a shit, um, <laughs> that is intended to hijack and change your taste buds where food and water becomes unpalatable to you. 
Mm-hmm. You know how crazy it is to me on a regular basis, not so crazy, that I hear people, I don't like the way water tastes. That was my mother for a very long I said, time. You've never been thirsty, motherfucker. And mm-hmm. that should be a huge wake up call, you know, but the, you don't can't say that to a kid. Somebody gave it to a kid. Well, that's where withdrawals come from. You know, you can you can withdraw from sugar, you know, if you over consume sugar for too long. Yeah. Alcoholics, too, you know, obviously are drug addicts and they feel that any other way is unnecessary or you know they don't like the way it feels or tastes well no shit because you've only felt this for so long and what i hope to but see here's the here's the challenge is that like a lot of people start there and they 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 don't and then it like creates a sense of guilt and guilt will create a barrier between getting what we want out of this the first thing that i like to do is to like ask people if they like it when other people tell them what to do Mm. And he was like, no, I don't fucking like that shit. I'm like, all right, cool. Uh, would you like it if somebody was manipulating your life without your permission? Hell no, I wouldn't like that. I was like, would you like it if somebody was conspiring to take mm. away your ability to live as a human being and to feel joy and to feel good in your body? Is that something that you would fucking stand for? They're like, hell fucking no. I'm like, cool. All of the food products that you're consuming were intentionally made to do just that. And they're doing it. And they're doing doing it on purpose. Now, I don't want to take away from certain, like there's an argument to be made that certain cereals and things, the reason we created them was to be able to provide cheap calories at scale when times were lean. And that's Mm -hmm. where they came from. But that certainly isn't where it is anymore. Like if if that was the only reason that we have so many different cereal brands, then we wouldn't be hijacking people's taste buds, right? Well, people are eating more now than you know, a hundred years ago too. No, dude, they're serving their customer at different points of the life cycle with all their products. Mm -hmm. Okay. They're just getting you as a lifetime customer. That Mm -hmm. is what people do not understand. This food is not made the way that it is. So it can be food. It's made. So it makes you a lifetime customer by getting you addicted to their brand, getting you emotionally attached to their brand, getting you physically attached with your taste buds to their brand. And they want to nurture you as a human resource for the rest of your life. And -hmm. if you do not understand this, it is time to wake up. Please wake up. Please is that is that, that ignorance or is it nations? Nations, nations. They're yeah. not being told. I'm begging you to wake up. Please see it. Please choose to investigate this further. Um, there is there. The only thing that's there for you is 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 uh, a lot of like uh, uh, being pissed off. I promise you. But but sometimes anger is the best yeah. emotion to spur action. Yeah, you you'll go through be, some some phases of should being experience yeah. anger and being pissed off about it. But because that's what's really happening. And it's easier to keep people modulated through hijacking their systems because then you're not as likely to, you're tired, you don't, you're stressed, you don't have curiosity, you don't look for fun, you just get from the time that you wake up to the time that you go to sleep and everything in the middle is a fucking drag and it's hard and it's heavy and it's stressful and the only way that you get through it is to grab your phone and to numb or to get on Netflix or to stop by Taco Bell like dude I've been there man I fucking get it dude it was hard for me to quit eating fast food it wasn't easy it was hard for me to stop making those late night runs or to stop drinking alcohol in the levels that I was drinking it because I felt socially obligated to do it it was not fucking easy for me to just transition and to become this human. It wasn't easy for anybody who made that decision, most likely, especially if they know what it's like to be on the other side. It's not about it being easy. Mm-hmm. You don't get the sensation of bliss and the sensation of gratitude when shit is easy. 
The only way you have it is if you understand tension and you understand that like there are friction points along this life that to like have what you want. And it's, it's built into natural law. I didn't make the rules, you know, like neither did the government make these rules. These are man. These are, these are God made laws. These are natural laws of the universe that like you have to endure stress in order to get growth. If you work out, you understand this, you stress your muscle, you recover and it gets better. You stress your muscle at the right, at the muscle, at the right tension level or at the light, right intensity. Next time you rest, you recover. Stress is a necessary catalyst for change. As long as it's coupled with the requisite amount of recovery, that's why traumas take so long. It's like, it's like, it's so impactful in an instant that like the, the, the long tail effects of that, just it, there's a process that has to happen and uh, every individual gets to have their own timeline on those things. But yes, be, be upset mm-hmm. and do something about it, you know, to uh, be upset and wrap this conversation up. And, and that this is uh, and I could, keep, I could keep talking on this. We're going to do, you know, we're going to do t- part two for our, Oh man. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. We could, we should definitely do it. I want to um, yeah. Final question. I'm going to leave it there because I have so many things, more things I can say. And, uh, and I want to be respectful of your time. And I want to leave some on the table for our listeners to want more as any good story does. Um, We've both been in the fitness industry in and out for a very long time. Fitness comes with many definitions what does it mean for you to be fit for adventure? For me, being fit for adventure is being physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally ready for action in a moment. And I want to be able to express in all of those areas to my near maximum potential without any warm up i want to be so ready to express my potential at any moment that when matt gallo wants to do a podcast with me i'm ready to express when i go and i grab my 200 pound sandbag try to pick it up and carry it around for a little while that i can do that first rep no warm up. Why? Because I'm ready to express. I take care of the things that allow me to express in any moment. And that is what it means for me to be fit for adventure. Beautifully said. Beautiful. Brooks Meadows is your real name and it's your name on Instagram, I imagine. And my, my middle initial is A, Brooks Alexander Meadows. My initials are BAM. <laughs> you just got a BAM bomb, Matt Gallo. Amazing. Putting it right here on your heart. I receive it fully received my friend (laughs) where else can people find you other than Instagram please uh, www.chopclubforman.com chopclubforman on Instagram Brooks Meadows on Instagram and I would love it for sure man I appreciate this and yeah definitely round two we're gonna have to make that happen abracadabra Thank you so much for listening once again. I appreciate you all. This is, this is my gift to the world, to be able to share stories and 
Brooks Meadows is a damn good storyteller. He brought some energy to the room today and I enjoyed it. I hope you did as well. And if you did, please go ahead to your podcast app, Apple, Spotify, click on the stars option, give it, give it as many stars as you can. That's usually five. And that'll help us start to recognize that we're doing a good job here. And as this podcast grows to be the number one podcast in the outdoor and adventure category across the, the board, all across the world in 2022, it will be all thanks to you and your five-star reviews. And any feedback that you have as well would be really appreciated. So if that's you writing a review uh, about how much you loved the stories that Brooks told or you loved the advice that you got from, uh, from our other guests or the tips or the little things, uh, or simply dropping me a DM on Instagram and saying thank you that, that you enjoyed an episode. I love getting those messages because it reminds me of why I do this in the first place, which is to share. I love telling stories. I love sharing stories of people and connecting people together. So go ahead, review it, and let's make this fit for adventure number one in the world. Stay fit, my friends. I'll see you on the summit.